Welcome to the audio-only version of this week's pop-up submission show. I hope you enjoy it. We love you to join us for the live show on YouTube every Sunday at 5pm UK time. YouTube.com slash Litopia. Here to help me today are... Yeah, his debut novel was the widely acclaimed The Zoo. He's a wildly popular member of the Chippendales, and he was one of the very first ever members of Litopia. And two of those are actually true. It's Jamie Mollett. <laughs> nice to see you, Jamie. Uh, she's one of our most popular guests here on Pop-Ups. Envied and idolised in equal measure for her shockingly good taste. Here's the wonderful Kaylee Finn. Litopians, report to the Genius Room right now. Genius.litopia.com yeah, and uh, the genius room really is right at the heart of everything we do. We used to call it the chat room, but that didn't really do justice to, to what it does here. It's like you're a living laboratory, and if you're a writer, I mean, the fe instant feedback and instant reaction you get is like nothing else on Earth. Litopians, report to the genius room right now. Exactly. Genius.litopia.com now we're looking at last month's winners. Not last week's, but actually last month's. Uh, enjoying second place, Nick's Mystery Story ties with Liam's Middle Grade Fantasy Adventure. Both of them got 70%, but in the number one position, I think it's very well deserved. Congratulations to actually last week's winner and the whole month's winner, actually. Joan Pontius, whose novel based on her own family archives, has, we think, bags of potential. Well now, it's a new month. We clear all the scoreboards and we're looking for this month's winner, starting with the very first submission that we'll see in just a moment. When you join our weekly huddle, certain things happen. No, not that. Bring your writing, your book titles, your blurbs, anything really, for expert and sympathetic input. In confidence. Other websites charge a fortune for this kind of thing. In Latopia, the oldest community for writers on the net is included in your modest subscription. Latopia, we're here for you. Yes, we are. And huddles are the best thing. Actually, I enjoy the heck out of them. And if you care to join one, I would be delighted and honoured. Right, let's get going. Straight up, our very first submission of the month comes from Martin. It's science fiction and it's called Terror. And this is Martin's blurb. Nothing is more important than family. But sometimes, all they do is get in the way. It's no different 300 years from now. Technology has advanced, but you still can't choose your parents. Good or bad, they're with you for life. Unless, that is, they wind up killing each other. Hmm. Let me tell you about Martin O'Connor. Hello, Martin. Hope you're joining us live. If you are, if you're uh, on YouTube right now, give us a shout-out. We love it, actually, when, uh, when our authors do join us live. So, a dirty post-industrial river town in the Midwest of the U.S. That's what you're saying about your bio. Growing up in Peoria, Illinois, it was clear that uh, where I was from wasn't special. My opinion didn't begin to change until I began reading science fiction. It started with Dan Simmons, then moved to Philip Jose Farmer, and ended with Gene Wolfe. At different times, all three called Peoria 
home. I didn't know that. Maybe there was something in the water, but ever since I found out the connection between Peoria and science fiction, I haven't been able to escape my goal of being added to the ranks of my hometown's list of writers. A noble ambition. In the end, my target is to play in Peoria. I was wondering when you were going to say that, and I, I, it's such a sort of big, big meme cliche type thing. I actually researched it. I thought it was someone like um, you know, Samuel Goldwyn or something, but it wasn't actually. It was Horatio Alger who came out with that originally. Very interesting, that. Okay, so you're a, a debut author on pop-ups. We've got a debut narrator. It's Lex making his very first appearance. Tara. By Martin O'Connor, read by Malice in physical form. AC 2300, Convention Day 1. Straightening his glasses, Tom Rivera walked out in front of the consortium. Applause drowned out his hollow footsteps, whistles and shouts. He felt their eyes, thousands to the left and right, billions all around. Desperate, hungry, pleading, begging to be shown what to do. He'd grab them by the nose if he had to. Come here. You need to see this. Thank you. Thank you all. Please sit down. He didn't want them to sit down. Please, please, you're too kind. His smile wasn't forced. Happy Terra New Year. Thank you. Thank you so much. I can't quite put into words how I feel. He laughed a little bit. Unbelievably honored. Words fall short, but sometimes they're all we have. I am unbelievably honored and humbled to introduce to you the grand marshal of this the eighth convention of the consortium tom cheered with the crowd this time around he couldn't help it i'd like to tell you a story about the grand marshal not the man you know as the former and favorite chief executive of terra but the man who raised me and my two siblings the man who kept the needs of this planet and the consortium at the forefront of his brain for 10 years is only half the man. I'd like to give you the chance to know that other half, the half of bad jokes and warm laughter, the half that shot antique fireworks off of our balcony to wake us up on peace day, the half I call dad. Way back when God was a boy, I too had to take the placement exam. And also like you, I was extremely nervous. At the time, my father was the vice president of education, and I felt a tremendous amount of pressure to not embarrass him and the family. I wanted to test into Prunet because at that age, I still considered Prunet to be the superior planet in the consortium. I studied day and night for months leading up to my test day. I studied so hard that an ulcer actually started to form. And on that day, my test day, I went down to breakfast after a very limited night of sleep. I remember sitting down across from my father as he uploaded the morning news. This was the era when memory chips were still being implanted. From my immature point of view, it was so unbelievably unfair that adults were able to upload any info they needed straight to the chip. It was immoral that children couldn't get the memory chip until after their schooling was over. Why did we have to study when once we got old enough, we'd be able to upload any information we needed right to our brain? I couldn't fathom the reason behind this injustice. And I must have been pretty deep into my fantasy of self-pity, because my dad had to say my name a few times before I answered. He wanted to know if I was okay. I hadn't touched my food, and I hadn't blinked for quite some time. Like a typical teenager, I said I was fine. Then I tried to choke down my breakfast in an attempt to prove my fineness. I kept my eyes lowered for quite some time before taking a chance. I looked up, expecting my father to be back reading the news, but instead he was looking right at me with 
kindest expression on his face. There was, I swear it to this day, a twinkle in his eye, and the right corner of his mouth was raised in that now infamous smirk. Then he said the most important words anyone has ever said to me in my life. I remember it vividly, like it happened yesterday. He leans back in his chair and takes out his pipe. That sweet vanilla odor fills the room while he tamps down the tobacco. The pipe ignites, and the red glow intensifies as he draws the air in. Smoke billows out. He says, I know you're worried about the test today, but you shouldn't be. You want to go to school on Pruine. You think that's where the best people go. But that isn't true. Okay, so... Um, the, um, the genius room is very busy reviewing Lex's narration. Uh, I'd say you're getting a five star there, actually, Lex. Definitely. Eva says, is this Lex's voice? (laughs) Yes, of course it is. You know his voice. You know his voice. Um, narrative is engaging, says Kate. Dialogue nicely uncluttered. Uh, Dean says, does have quite a bit of telling, but it's holding my interest. Maybe that's the narration. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, we need, um... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and Lex is blushing. We need a few more comments, Genius Room, please, about the, the actual manuscript, not just about the, the wonders of Lex's narration. I'm wondering, Jamie, what sort of impression that made on you, apart from Lex's fine, manly voice? Um, yeah, the reading, I think the reading um, sort of uh, carried it along to me, to be honest. I've just written down, it's just a lot of, there's a hell of a lot in there. Like, I'm not is, really yeah. sure where it's going. Um but uh, it's just so much exposition. It just got uh, dumped a lot of information on me. And by the time it finished, I was like, I'm still not really sure yeah, where it's too. going. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Lex can read, can't he? Bravo. He absolutely can. Yes, it's only taken us about five years to persuade him to come and do a narration. Hopefully it won't take another five years. Uh, first reactions, please, Kaylee. And don't forget to press that vote button. Oh, you've done it. Fantastic. You've done it. I I did. I didn't know when I was yeah. supposed to do it. So I went in there with it and I Fantastic. gave quite strong scores. Um, hmm. I, I agree with, with Jamie. A lot of ground was covered and a lot of exposition within the dialogue. This guy's kind of giving his speech in front of lots of people. Yeah. I think it's quite a clever technique for trying to introduce this world and the relationship that the protagonist has with this guy who I'm assuming he has his father-like relationship with or, or that's guess. what it is. Um, I think it needs breaking up a little bit to make it more um, digestible for the reader because there were a few things. Um, there was the reference to, I'm not going to pronounce this right, I know I'm not, but Prune, so that's obviously part of this fantasy world or this world of the future, but it was almost like the reference came too soon before we could really understand what it was yeah. um, so just a lot of ground so just if you can break that up but in terms of introducing this world setting up this relationship that he has with with the father i thought it was quite effective okay. and engaging okay okay so overall let's look at uh, let's see how we're doing uh it's at the moment we've got a few more to come in i'm sure from the junior stream but you're looking at a solid 57 there Martin, um, let's just um, let's just look at the outliers there. Coming like you, Jamie, uh, you went big time on the blurb. You really liked the blurb. Could I say any more about that? He would like to, but he's muted. I don't know if it's your end or our end. <laughs> it's me. Okay, it's me. It's good. 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 All right. I, I was going to sneeze, so I thought I'd better mute myself. Oh, bless you. <laughs> yeah. Um, Maybe it's maybe it's because of the advertising man in me, but I do love a pithy short um, yeah. intro, and, and and it's just got a great line, hasn't it, at the end? And I just thought, you know what, it doesn't tell me a lot, 
but I like the tone of it. It's slightly comedic. It's it's slightly um, you sort of get an idea of what it's about in the fact that it's science fiction. It's just got a lovely little end line, and I, I just think that's. It's, I do like a little call to action, and it's yeah, neat. It's yeah, neat. Call to action, absolutely. Yeah, cool, excellent, great. Yeah, I I totally agree with that, and I just want to say, want to add to everything that's been said. I the one word I wrote down here actually, Martin, was a bit prolix, which means too much unnecessary detail right up front. Really, I thought the prolix. Um, it feels a bit first draft. The thing about first drafts is, I'm sure it isn't first draft, but it feels a bit first draft. The thing about first draft is that you know you're writing for yourself. Really, you're writing into that world your world building you're creating the world you're enjoying it but it's not you know that's your experience it's not necessarily the same experience for the reader um and you've got to be a bit merciless really about what to to strike out um i would be looking for science fiction i would be looking for something that stands out just a little bit more uh as a as a usp the one that um jamie um uh, identified, unless that is they wind up killing each other. I'd need a bit bit stronger than that in order to pick the phone up and sell it to a publisher. But solid 57 to begin with. Not bad, basically. Oh, we've got an endorsement. This is an old-fashioned endorsement from James. Once again, says James, a huge thank you. This week's pop-up sub was incredibly helpful. Pleased to hear it. Thank you. Of course, it was lovely to receive such high scores from the audience, but the more critical feedback has proven invaluable. We aim to do that, actually. Um, I'll be restructuring my opening with it all in mind. Thank you, Jamie. Appreciate that. Remember, you can review us because we review you. Let's have a look at the next submission. And this is a children's picture book. That's interesting. We don't get too many of those. That's from Matthew. Uh, QR code there, which means you can scan that on your phone and go to whichever arcane corner of the uh, internet Matthew would like you to go to. And this is Matthew's blurb. Isla is a little girl with a special heart whose best friend in the whole wide world is a teddy called Brown Bear. Isla has to go to hospital and is looking forward to having ice cream once her heart scan is over. But Brown Bear just can't wait and sneaks off to find the hospital cafe and a whole world of adventure. Love Switched Up is a magical story written to help children deal with the anxiety of hospital visits. Sounds like a good thing to do. Let um, me tell everybody about you, Matthew. Um, Isla is my daughter. Um, and she has a diagnosis of pulmonary stenosis. I worked with consultant cardiologist Dr. Elspeth Brown on writing the story as a way of helping children cope with the anxiety of hospital visits. Love Swish Dub is the first in a series of books about special children and their extraordinary adventures. Fantastic. I can think of no one better than Kate to give it her finest narration. Love Swish Dub. Isla and Brown Bear in the Great Hospital Ice Cream Hunt by Matthew Read by Kate Brown Bear was a teddy with a beanie body and a missing nose who loved ice cream. His best friend in the whole world was a little girl called Isla. Brown Bear loved ice cream, but he loved Isla more. Not long after Isla was born, a doctor noticed that her heart made a special sound called a murmur. Most people's hearts just go lub-dub, but Isla's heart went lub-swish-dub. Once a year, Isla had to visit the hospital to check the swish wasn't getting too loud. It was nearly Isla's fourth birthday, and it was time to go back to hospital to have her heart scanned. Even though she had been for a scan before, she'd been too young to remember. 
Will this scan hurt, Mummy? Isla asked. No, but it may tickle, said Mummy, who was a nurse and knew all about scans, medicines and hospitals. After the scan, we can go for ice cream at the hospital cafe, said Daddy. In the hospital waiting room, there were lots of toys to play with and books to read. Before long, a doctor came to see them. Hello, I'm Dr Brown, said the doctor, who was wearing a big bright smile. You have the same name as my teddy, laughed Isla, proudly holding up Brown Bear. Dr Brown took them into a room with a bed and the scanning machine. The scanner looked like something from an alien spaceship. Isla didn't like aliens. Isla put Brown Bear on a chair and took off her T-shirt. Don't worry, Isla, this bed is nice and comfy, said Dr Brown. Brown Bear could tell Isla was worried and that she was trying to be brave. He knew what would make her feel better. Ice cream! Brown Bear slid off the chair, tiptoed across the floor and out of the door. Dr Brown squirted some gooey gel on Isla's chest. This will help the scanner listen to your heart, explained Dr Brown. Brown Bear scampered down the corridor and slipped through a crack in a big red door. Inside it wasn't the cafe, it was the accident and emergency room. There was a boy with a saucepan stuck on his head, but no ice cream. Dr Brown slowly rubbed the scanner over Isla's chest. Mummy was right, it did tickle. Brown Bear sneaked through a tall blue door. Inside it wasn't the cafe, it was an operating theatre. There was a machine that went but no ice cream. Dr Brown twiddled some knobs and pressed some buttons. Isla could see her heart beating away on the scanner screen. Wow, this is amazing, Isla giggled. Dr Brown flipped a switch and Isla could hear her heart going lub-swish-dub. Brown Bear pushed open a small green door. Inside it wasn't the cafe, it was the maternity ward. There were lots of babies in there, but no ice cream. Brown Bear was tired and grumpy. He tried one last door and inside he found Isla. Brown Bear had come right back to where he started. Your heart sounds lovely, said Dr Brown. Yippee! Isla shouted, hopping off the bed. She picked up Brown Bear and gave him a big cuddle. Let's go find that ice cream, Daddy beamed. Brown Bear couldn't agree more. They waved goodbye to the lovely doctor and headed to the hospital cafe. I wish I could have my heart scanned every day, said Isla, as they tucked into their ice cream. Why? Mummy asked. That way... We could have ice cream every day, said Isla, as she gave Brown Bear a squeeze. Isla loved ice cream, but she loved Brown Bear more. Okay, so getting some interesting reactions from our genius room. Um, the first uh, first revelation from me was that actually I didn't realise this, in fact, um, Matthew, but the link you gave us actually goes to a YouTube video. So thank you, Johnny, for discovering that. And apparently there are pictures there, because I was going to say something about the pictures. But there are pictures there. I haven't seen them. I'm so sorry. I didn't realise that's uh, where the link goes. 
Isn't that awful? Um, so I feel I'm missing a dimension of this. Um, let's have a look. Um, yeah, uh, Dean just made that comment. Would be lovely to see the illustrations. We can do, apparently. They are on the video. Um, and Cora says, taking most of the boxes for its intended market. Lots to like here. Um, Kate says, nice to see the illustrations. We, I think we're all thinking that, but we do have a link to it. If I'd have known that in advance, we'd have actually got them up on the screen. So I'm so sorry. Um, you, should, you know, if you ever do that again, um, just, just say specifically what that link is to. And if it's to a video, we can, we can have it here as well. No, no reason why not. Um, and uh, Fanula says, such a lovely story. And this is one of our authors today, I happen to know. Yeah, good. Um, all right, so I think, let me try and summarise. I think generally incredibly supportive comments. Um, lots and lots of positive outflowing of support here from the genius room. But someone at some point, somehow, probably me, has got to say, is this a, is this a solid commercial concept? I'm thinking about that. Meanwhile, let's get Kayla's reactions. Ooh, um, Ooh. well, it, <laughs> it I can tell already you've, you've you've gone you've gone big on this. Got got me in the heart. I must yeah. say, it was, it was a really endearing, lovely story, and obviously very personal, a very personal story to tell. Um, I saw some comments about the title that. Um, yeah. Love Swish Dove would kind of work of its own, um, which I think is true. But I also like the nod to the brown bear because you start to see that you might be following this kind of this character in the story. In terms of the commercial aspect, I'm actually really interested to know the answer to this because it's very specific. It's a very specific story to tell. Yeah. Very different to anything I read when I was younger. But that's not to say that we shouldn't be exploring these kind of important kind of grounded in reality stories you know it's it's a nice way of kind of softening the subject matter and making it more palatable yeah um but overall i mean when it comes to writing a really lovely emotive story definitely did that it did it for you. It well that's i mean you know that's basically what publishing is about actually it's all about the emotion jamie are you going to be a little bit, a little bit more hard-nosed about this you're still muted there we go <laughs> Like, a year and a half away. in Zoom. A year and a half in Zoom. Should have worked this out by now, surely. Honestly, oh dear. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm um, I think the title's awesome. Love the title. Really liked it. I think it's it's uh, it's it's pitch, pitch perfect. I can just see it. Um, I think the blurb was really good as well. I think actually, I think I've gone big on the commerciality because I genuinely yeah. think there's a marketplace for this, I, and I, I think I could probably sell it. I think. Um, I, I actually know a friend whose um, son is does have to go. Has got a heart condition and does have to go. And I could just and I know that we're, we're expecting we're expecting our next child at the moment, and we're reading a mm. lot of stories about to our daughter about the new baby and and so on. And it's a, and through fiction like this is a much easier way of approaching subjects like that. Yeah. So I think there's a genuine yeah. place for it. I, I, I know that my friend would love a book like this to be able to explain to his son what's going to happen and and, and like that. So I think there's a genuine place for it. And I think. Um, it's done with a great deal of sensitivity. I think the writing's very sensitive. I think the topic's uh, approached in a way that um, makes it very useful, uh, actually. Um, Kay maybe why hasn't someone done it before? Kaylee's uh, asking, and I, this is a comment I've written down as well. Kaylee's saying, is it a bit too specific? I've written down, isn't it too specialist? Because lots of children go into hospitals for all kinds of, you know, complaints and conditions and situations. And this, this is being very specific about one. What do you think about that, Jimmy? Um, 
I think it might need to pull back a little bit in that respect. Yeah, I think it's it's very much about what them. But I think what you could do that by getting either having the child talking to other children or Brown Bear talking to other children to understand that it's a little bit more broad than that. It's just them going into the into the ward for this reason, but there's other things. And I think there's a little bit that might need softening a little bit. Like you've got um, talking about maternity ward. Like you, a kid wouldn't know what to, a four year old wouldn't know what maternity ward is. You'd have to change the language a little bit to just sort of say you know where the babies are and this is where the children who've got this are. Um, so I think it needs, it needs a little bit. Like that, but but yeah. generally, I think it's it's probably very needed. For, uh, for me, that's part of the fun. Actually, is exploring. You know, it's, it's going behind those doors and find, oh, what do they do there? Mm. Ooh, look at that! <laughs> that I yeah. think there's a, bit, there's a bit of yeah, a bit of excitement in that actually. Um, I've, I've actually written that down about Brown Bear needing a bit more adventure. Like he could go and yeah. find cool stuff, couldn't he? Yes, I think so. Um, my suspicion is this might be a harder sell than you think to a picture book publisher um the one great thing it's got going i mean it's got a number of great things going for it actually but one of the the good things that is really important for picture picture books is internationalism um because you know they have to defray all their expenses and their considerable origination costs mostly against foreign sales and if the, if if we know a lot of picture books or picture book ideas are just very very restricted in terms of uk potential maybe north american potential but that's it this has got international potential so that's very interesting from, from a picture book publisher's point of view i do have the nagging feeling though um that maybe you might want to consider exploring matthew um initial publication maybe a small limited edition um just with with the hospital concerned um, that's actually how J.K. Rowling got going, not the hospital, but she, she was very big on local schools and got lots of lots of great feedback, and the momentum started to gather like that. And I'm wondering if that might not be a better way initially if you, if you get it going like that with the hospital, and then just, you know, you've basically then you've got, you've got a sort of test market, you've got a case history. You could then take it to the next stage. Um, but I think, yeah, let's just have one more look at the collection of wisdom of the genius room. Yeah, short waiting room scene, absolutely. Um, I think I think my marks are the same actually. Let me just check. They are the same actually as previously. Yes, thank you, Kate. Um, Hannah dropped a mark on the blurb from four to three because it wasn't the best fit for the story. Um, generally, very very supportive stuff. And let's just look at the overall numbers so far. And you surge into the lead there, Matthew, with seventy one. That's impressive. Make a priority submission. Priority.latopia.com Absolutely, and that's how you get on a little bit faster. Uh, I'll tell you what, let's have a look at our third submission. Then I want to have a little chat with Jamie and see if all these rumours are actually true. Here we go. Submission three. Secrets of the Medallion. And the genre, as it's described by the author, is fiction historical novel. There's some Riven. And this is Raven's blurb. The Secrets of the Medallion, a historical novel of 67,000 words. I don't think you should put the word count on the blurb, actually, Riven. Uh, that takes place in Poland and Israel in the 1940s and 1950s is based on real-life events. The Secrets of the Medallion consists of four interconnecting layers. The first layer is about the Katz family who survived the horrors of war against all odds. The second layer follows Ilya and Tamara Katz into civilian life, showing how they adapt as they try to leave their past behind. The third layer is about Maria Werner, and there you get truncated, you see? This is what happens if you don't look at the numbers. 
they, you got a little number counter on the website, and each time you enter a character, it goes boing, one down, one down, one down, and eventually when it gets to zero, you've had you've had your chips, and uh, we'll we'll never know what happens to Maria. Maybe we will in in your sample. I don't know. Um, I normally at this point will read a, a bio. But you've given me a logline, what you call a logline instead of a bio. Okay, so let's read that. Maria, a Jewish girl brought up by a Catholic family in war-torn Poland, is unsure of her identity. After she's adopted by a family in Israel in 1951, the medallion she always wears reveals the secrets of her early years and links her to her adoptive family in an unexpected way, forcing her to make a choice about her future. Well, that's interesting. That's more interesting than the blurb, in my view. Um, and as you know, our, our narrators are always your very best advocates here, really. They, they believe in your work. They try to make it come alive. They get, really get inside it. And very often they're in the genius room, too. And we love to hear what they've got to say, because they see it slightly from a slightly different perspective. I'm delighted to tell you today, Ruven, that your narrator is Jeff. The Secrets of the Medallion by Ruven read... By Jeff. November the 20th, 1941. A stretch of forest on the outskirts of Krakow. Wanda Werner keeps to the shadows, weaving her way through the wintry pine trees. Her heart is in her mouth as she edges forward, braced for unwelcome surprises. Her ears are pricked for the slightest sound imaginable as she moves her feet with painstaking care, trying to avoid the crack of stray twigs and the crunch of pine needles. Wanda would never say that her life has been an easy one, but she knows this is the hardest thing that she has ever had to do. She has journeyed here to the edge of the city against her own fervent wishes and better judgment. It is a place that fewer Krakow's residents care to visit these days and where even fewer dare to tread. But for Wanda, there is simply no alternative. Rumour has it that her friend and employer is buried somewhere in the area. It is way past midnight, Wanda is thankful for the cover of darkness. She is dressed all in black in an attempt to conceal herself from view. It is a grim irony that she looks like a funeral mourner, given her reasons for coming here. Little surprise, the woods at this time of night stir up old superstitions in Polish women, adding to the air of menace and malevolence. Unsightly images of witches, demons and ghosts stale her mind, stirring her feverish imagination, and yet Wanda knows, in the depths of her soul, that there are worse things to fear than restless spirits and cloven hoofed devils. If the rumours are to be believed, this woodland has become the site of incredible human depravity, a place where unspeakable atrocities have taken place repeatedly. As Wanda reaches a wide, oval-shaped clearing, the clouds above her shift and a blood-red moon appears through the gap, illuminating the ground in front of her with a strange, unearthly glow. It seems like one more ill omen as she flinches from the pale crescent. The earth here has been disturbed by human hands, leaving the topsoil and uneven heaps. It is proof that a massive dig has taken place in recent days, and this unnerving discovery adds more weight to those terrible rumours. It hints at unmarked graves and points to the crudest of burials. Staring at the mounds of overturned earth, Wonder retreats further into the shadows, as if recoiling from the terrible truth. At that very same moment, she hears two voices coming closer, speaking in German. It's a terrifying development that compels her to hide behind the wide trunk of a tree. Frozen to the spot, she sees two figures enter the forest glade and rear into view, 
both with their heads down. They are inspecting the ground, kicking among the traces, turning the earth over again with the steel-capped toes of their jackboots. Wait, what's this? One of them exclaims, I think I may have found something. Excited by the potential discovery, the soldier stoops down, picks something off the ground and holds it up to the moonlight. He turns the object over and over before sneering derisively. Ha! Play middle. I thought these Jews were supposed to be dripping in gold. Just my luck. I end up with this worthless pit of rubbish. The other soldier moves closer, leans in and wipes the dirt off the front of a medallion on a chain. There's something written on it. He mutters before straining his eyes to read the description, Bright Future. The other soldier barks out a laugh. Ha! What a joke! The only future this vermin can look forward to is a bullet in the back of the head. With his final blood-curling remark, he tosses the medallion to the ground. One hunts, said the other soldier. Let's get back to the sentry post. The colonel would have our guts for garters if he knew what we were doing out here. The men's statistic exchange chills wonder to the core. She dares not move a muscle even as the soldiers recede into the distance. She watches from the corner of her eye as they merge with the outlined darkness. Their slow retreat, however welcome, offers little consolation. Even worse than the soldiers' murderous sentiments was the familiar ring of the inscription. Okay. Let's get up to speed with the um, the living laboratory that is the genius room. Um, yeah, Guts for Garters instantly jumped out at me. Uh, completely inappropriate. Um, too much telling, says Ankura. Uh, cliched, says Yana. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, could cut a few of these cliches at the beginning too. Nice idea. Yeah. Uh, Martin says, Martin's always worth listening to. Good writing generally, but a bit telly, matter of fact, in places, e.g. a terrifying development. Sounds rather administrative to me. It does. I think I think the genius room is being quite mild. I would be I would be more critical personally. Um, and Kate says, enjoying Jeff's Deutsch accent, which I mean, heaven forbid that we should deal in stereotypes here. Oh dear. Jamie. Hopefully you're not muted. I'm not. Good. <laughs> um, yeah, good narration again. We've got some crackers tonight. Good actions. Um, I think. Um, I think the main. There's a few problems with this one for me. I think the main one is it's it's too short. Like six, seven thousand words is twenty thousand words too short. Yeah. I think. I think you yeah. should have it just on just on that basis, really. But I think the in terms of the, there's there's some good ideas in there. Um, and I think you could do with a good trim. I think you could lose two-thirds of that and get right mm. down to the nitty-gritty of what's happening. Mm. But I think there's two other sort of fundamental things that that are happening that makes it difficult to, to get involved in it. It's one that we're not close enough into Wanda's head. Like, there's very mm. little that's telling us what she feels or or, or the get understanding her terror or excitement. We're quite distant from her. And the other thing is, is the classic show tell thing. And I think one of the genius room mentioned it. So it's, if you have to write, it's a terrifying moment. Then you, you know, you, it's not got, a terrifying should, moment, it's not is terrifying. it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, but um, yeah, I think amongst that, there's some good writing, and I think there's probably quite a good story buried in there. Um, it just needs a bit of work. Yeah, yeah, I'm coming out the lowest of anybody, really. I think at the moment, I'm. Yeah, I'm not looking very um, optimistic on this. Gats, anything better than the MC's catchy World War Wonder Woman name is Jeff's narration. Everyone, everyone's into the narration tonight. Actually, Kylie, I would agree with the comments. Um, the title for me, I think, makes sense for the story 
for me it feels a little bit generic mm. um as soon as i saw that it felt very familiar and then off-putting yeah. um i don't know if anyone would agree with that but maybe one to look at um the blurb i think has already been mentioned it wasn't really a blurb i didn't understand the layers um, but there was something in there about based on real life events which is for me quite a compelling hook if i'm going to be reading something that's almost kind of stranger than fiction mm. um so maybe bring that up top uh, bring people in in terms of the nuts and bolts of the story there's some interesting stuff there she's in this forest she's looking for a rumored grave some soldiers come along they discover the medallion so there is action and there is story but it is buried under a lot of kind of words and i think you're absolutely mm. right it's saying things like blood curling there was crunch and cracking take some of those words out because it therefore reads like you're trying to write and we should just be reading the story rather than uh, kind of knowing how you went about the writing process um mm. i felt a little bit too distanced from it to feel really interested in what was happening I think that's, yeah does it feel a bit uh, sort of middle grade to you it even doesn't say what well, the you know target audience is it's just a historical novel which it could be anything it feels a bit young to me yeah yeah um okay so let's see how the numbers are looking on that and so we're looking at a 46 so far raven might maybe one or two latecomers in the genius room haven't yet pressed their buttons in which case please do i've got some hard talking to do to you um the the um i think everyone's been been very supportive as they always are in the in the genius room but i you know i have to inject a note of commercial reality um a lot of too much of this of, of the samples that you sent in the sample writing sample words some sample writing uh, reads like a synopsis i didn't really feel there at all you know and you, you've got to understand the difference in showing and telling and all the rest of that stuff that you know writers are supposed to learn really with their their uh, breast milk um we need to be there the thing that for me that i think is inexcusable is that you make um a terrifying maybe even horrific situation feel rather mundane and that's that's just not right so that's why i've completely marked you down in terms of craft um i like the basic idea i think everyone does the the the, the this medallion that gets passed around from hand to hand very interesting and i am feeling a bit uneasy about the kind of lazy german stereotypes they're just just there to you know basically give somebody a german accent aside it doesn't feel real to me so um i got quite excited about the potential and as always with these things when people get excited about the potential but it's not realized i think you get a bit of a negative additional negative reaction so that's why i've gone a bit low on that let's see what the votes are looking like so far now we've got a 13 down there. <laughs> How can that be the case? Seriously, we've got we've got our very last submission of the day has already got thirteen percent. You know what? I'm going to zero that out in a moment, and uh, we're going to start from scratch. There, I don't know who's been pushing the buttons, but you know you you're going to have to let the uh, let the narration take its course, folks. So ignoring that, and I'm sure it's a wonderful submission for Nola, but uh, yeah, ignoring that, we're looking at the moment. Uh, we're looking at yours, Matthew. It's being a very, very solid 74. Remember last last month's winner, um, 71, I got 74. So you're certainly within within sight of that. Let's speak to young, uh, young Jamie about his latest and greatest. 
what is this this thing we see in front of us this this extraordinary work of uh, affection jamie that's that's getting plaudits from all over the place it's called kings of a dead world yeah this is uh it's my 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 latest my latest uh my latest novel kings of dead world which is uh, a piece of dystopian cli-fi which oh is a term goodness. i didn't even know about until until fairly recently um, yeah t- turns out turns out i've written a cli-fi book um but it's 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 set in a um i'm gonna hold hold the real one up it's set right. in um in a, in a in a near future britain um resources have run dry and the the government have um the, the combined governments have made a solution which is to put uh most of the population to sleep in a forced hibernation for three months mm. and one person per area called a janitor stays awake and looks over them um and it follows some one family who is sleeping and it follows a janitor is awake um, and things are not what they seem, as is often the case in these kind of novels. Mm. OK, well, that's always the most difficult bit for any writer. Well, so what's your book about then, Jamie? <gasps> so you've got, you've got <laughs> trying, out of trying, that over. <laughs> well done. Yeah, yeah, trying, to get, trying to get 100,000 words down into, into one sentence. I know, it's just awful, isn't it? Actually, it really is awful. I know, I, I empathise completely. Um, I'll tell everyone about some reviews I've just spotted. Actually, some reviewers are, you, are comparing you to J.G. Ballard and Aldous Huxley. That's not bad. It's good I'll company. Take that. Being, Deji Bellon's amazing, isn't it? I mean, it's not yeah. true. I'm not as good as either of those, but I'll take it. Um, to, uh, several things arising from this uh, dystopia. Is, is there still room, do you think, for for more dystopia, bearing in mind what we've all been through in the past uh, 18 months, a, two years? You know how long it takes. To, I've actually written a piece on this for the bookseller, if you want to, if you want to oh, yeah. look. But the, Fantastic. Um, the, um, the, yeah, as you know, it takes a long time to edit these to, to write books. You know, it got the yeah. publisher um, agreed to publish it eighteen long, you know, eighteen months ago, maybe, maybe a bit longer. Mm. Um, and we were scheduled in to edit it through twenty twenty, which um, turned out to be a very strange experience because there's yeah. whole chapters of the book where the janitor's are awake but no one else is, and he's walking around in an empty world. I'd be sitting here editing it and then walk out into the street, and it'd be like, oh man, I've been to this. Yeah. Um, I think I think there's one of the sort of the, the, the thing I think there's going to be a place. And I, I it didn't take very long for there to be a Brexit novel did there, and I think no. it won't be very long before there's a post-pandemic novel. Yeah. And I do think there's a there's a place in um, for, for for novels to sort of act as a message in a bottle about what we've about what we've been through. I don't think it will take that long before we collectively forget and go back to normal and forget all the good stuff that happened. I mean, yeah. you know, you can't talk about the pandemic without talking about the deaths, but we. Had, gained a better understanding of our fallibility and our place in the world, I think. And I want to talk about that because you, you're, you've, you remember our founding member, I think, of the newly launched Climate Fiction Writers League, a group yeah. of global authors all raising awareness about climate change through their writing. Okay, so that sounds like a good thing to do, um, but is, aren't you just preaching to the choir? Well, I, well, I don't think. I think. I think. I, I think we'll all forget. And I, I think I, I set out. I set out deliberately not to write a polemic. I didn't want to write something that was preaching, okay. uh, telling you need to, you know, you need to behave yourselves, or we're all gonna. It's going to be a disaster. I wanted to write something that was pacey and exciting and and uh, quick to read. And if you kind of finished it and thought, do you know what? I want to change things a little bit, then that, then it'll be it. I mean, we actually went vegan during the process. Of, of me writing it because of, Yeah. Oh, you're a vegan, aren't you? Yeah. Well, just a bit. Yes, actually. Yeah. 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 Um, wow. And it just made me think a little bit. And, and, and do you know oh. what? If somebody reads it and enjoys it, that's the main point of it. But if somebody, yeah. if, if one person reads it and thinks, do you know what? I might, I might change how I live it a little bit. Then, yeah. then um, so I just, a lot I just, of what I'm talking about is like, 
about personal culpability and about people taking responsibility for their individual actions. And we're very, it's very, climate change is too mm. big for us to understand it. And we forget that if we don't use, if we don't use um, non-recyclable plastics, we make a difference. And, I, it, you know, I, think I, 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 I know, and I think that's really important, but I just want to sort of raise something else here and then just circle back to you to see if, if you think writers have a, have a valid role here. Okay, so this is by far and away the most interesting thing I've seen in The Guardian in recent weeks. And they, they just went to talk to a number of really quite old scientists, all of whom have been employed by the oil industry. If you didn't catch it, I honestly do suggest you can look at it. The scientists hired by Big Oil, who predicted the climate crisis long ago. And we are talking about um, 1950s, 1960s, 1970s, things like that. And one of them, and, and they all came to the same conclusion, basically, that if we carry on like this, we are buggered. And one of them said, I'm just going to read part of this out, actually, because I think it's so interesting. Back in 1980, there was a guy working for Exxon, together with this other guy, uh, who invented the uh, lithium battery. He won a Nobel Prize in chemistry for it. He said, just imagine if Exxon management had taken our prediction seriously, they could have easily built huge factories to make lithium batteries to facilitate the transition to electric cars. Instead, they fired this guy. <laughs> Do you imagine firing him, a Nobel Prize winner? They shut down all their energy work and they started funding climate deniers. And you think, actually, OK, so you've got that happening in one corner and you've got me and you and no matter you know no 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 end of you know well-meaning people trying to reduce our use of plastics and so on i just wonder if it's not a drop in the ocean and if there is more action necessary that perhaps writers might be able to precipitate jamie yeah i mean i think um it's every, every little bit helps doesn't it I, you know and and it's it's um I actually, so I remember having conversations with my friends, and it was about shaving my head. And I was using plastic razor blades, um, yeah. and I swapped them to to using just you know yeah. actual metal yeah. razor blades. Yeah. And he was like, "Why are you doing that? You know, you're just like one person." I was like, "Yeah, but it's like if lots of one people do something, then that becomes a movement. That becomes people precipitating change on large scales." That's and right. I do, and one of the things I'm really keen for us as, as writers to do is to take the lessons from the pandemic to look at the way we all, we could, we did change our behavior you know yeah. we we climbed, yeah. we 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 yeah. were all so excited about it. we were looking at venice and looking at the the blue waters in venice and we were like this is amazing and mm. we were looking at the skies above and above our cities being clearer and we and we reveled in it we were very excited about the fact that nature fought back for a little bit and, yeah. and things changed and i think there is a place um for writers to 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 talk about yeah. that and to reinforce that idea and not to let it just go you know and this is someone talking to uh, who works in advertising to someone who used to work in advertising um saying that yeah, we, you know, it's very easy you can see it we were bad people um you can yeah. see us very quickly going back you can see the, the high street changing quickly you can see us yeah. spending the money that we've saved up on cars and flying yeah. on holidays and yeah. I just think there's a place for us all to sort of um, to, to, to 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 say to to write stuff and to do art and to create yeah. culture that that tries to make a change. God, that was quite preachy for someone who said didn't want to write, write preachy stuff. <laughs> well, yeah, you, yeah. <laughs> Kaylee's Kaylee agrees with you at least. And Hannah says the ocean is made out of drops. Well, very nice actually. Nice, nice thought. Let's look, let's have a look at our fourth submission of the day. We've got two more. Here we are. Number four comes from Ben. Hello, Ben. Hope you're with us. It's a supernatural thriller. <sighs> Just what I fancy on a Sunday afternoon. And it's called Remedy, The Damned. Sometimes we run from whom, from who we truly are. 
for fear of what we may become. Magna never chose eternal life or to take the life of others. He never asked to be the best at what he does or to follow in any ancient footsteps. He just wanted to be normal, mortal, like you and me. To live, love and die. When he discovers the legend of an ancient ritual capable of turning his kind back to the living, he and his lover, Danica, flee England for Venice. Ooh, spooky. James just mentioned Venice. Hoping to find a remedy for their eternal damnation. He's, Lex is already way behind you on this, Ben. And incidentally, Ben, I see uh, it's not on the screen, but uh, on the bit of paper I've got, you've got your two initials, middle initials, RR. <laughs> that either stands for Rolls Royce or um, you're trying to emulate the success of a certain uh, Mr. George Martin. I wonder which one. Uh, so let me tell you, tell everybody about your bio. Uh, I'm taking a big switch in genre to the supernatural world of vampires away from my usual crime thriller. But this is not a Twilight or Netflix series capitalising on teenage angst. This is a dark, violent, occult underworld, laced with romance, hope, metaphor and thrills. I've been writing independent novels for around ten years under the name Ben Coulter. To date, I've written four crime thriller novels, receiving over 200 positive reviews on Amazon. That's very good. I have 21.4k genuine Twitter followers. From the back of this, very good too. Um, publishers do... You know, that, that does sort of sway publishers, actually, the amount of social media pull you've got. Um, as much as I've enjoyed self-publishing, the reach is limited. Well, that is true to some extent. Um, I know a number of self-publishers actually doing incredibly well, but it's really hard. It's very hard work. All right, so this is the day for the uh, debut narrator. Although not entirely debut, because for you, I am absolutely overjoyed to say we've got the joint star of our, our new podcast, Short Story Hunters. Yes, it is giving her first reading for the very first time. For you, it's Barbara. Remedy to Damned by Ben R. R. Coulter, read by Barbara. Chapter 1. Vengeance is Ours. Suffolk, England, the present day. Bonfire flames wrestled with darkness in the heart of camp, illuminating a belt of vehicles from within. There were ten caravans in the array of vehicles ranging from tired-looking vans to luxury SUVs. The disused meadow was far enough away from everyday society so not as to warrant any unwelcome guests, but close enough that it appeared as any other temporary encampment of Romany travellers. A row of elderly faces chose to ignore the white transit van pulling up outside the circle, too hypnotised by the fire from the fold-away camp chairs. All but one. She rose to her feet and snatched up the hem of her floral dress to stop it from dragging in the mud. She wandered towards the van as she watched it reverse back into the only space left inside the circle. She folded her arms into a hand-knitted black waistcoat and squeezed her hands around her elbows. Her dark eyes looked lighter than they were, enhanced by the colourful butterflies on her grey headscarf as she focused them in on the van. Appearing from the shadows behind her came the only two teenage members of the camp, and from behind them came two Rottweiler dogs and one German shepherd. The dogs passed her, settling down around the perimeter of the camp. They pricked their ears to the woodlands as the engine shut down and the lights clicked off. The back doors opened from within and the boyish face, with wide eyes, came tumbling out. 
All okay, Elvis, the old lady said in her West Country accent. All good, ma, he replied. Grab his legs, Chuck, he said, looking into the back of the beaten-up old van. Chuck, wake up, you big dosser. A female teenager cringed at the sound of screeching metal as the driver's side door opened. A huge lump of a man stepped out and stretched his arms up to the night sky. All okay, Stefan, the lady said, focusing on his long muscular arms, a smile appearing on her face. All okay, Ma, he replied. He was an inch shy of seven foot. His nose was pointed and hooked at the end. His dark eyes were sunken into his skull, emphasized by thick brown bags underneath of them. His balding head was a map of scars in need of a fresh shave. Where's Magna? He's coming. He's in one of his moods again, he replied, slamming the van door shut. He had a graveled mixture of Mancurian and Old English, the type usually reserved in the 21st century for retellings of a Giles Dickens novel. Careful with that beast, he said, looking at the two young men pulling a body from the van. We know what we're doing, Pa, Chuck replied, climbing down from the back. How many times have I heard that, Chuck? He did not wait a reply as he headed towards the warm glow of the fire. Chuck rolled his eyes, gritted his teeth and shook his head. The unconscious man they were carrying was beginning to fidget his way back into the waking world. We might need more of that chemical, Pa, Elvis said. Oh, just get them to their chair and tie him up, Stefan replied from the edge of the fire. For the sake of our Lord, will you just bleed and well do it? He huffed out a dramatic sigh and then sat down in between the only other elder men in the camp. Bernard, Brian, he said, nodding his head to them both in turn. They stayed silent as they nodded back, unable to remove their eyes from the meditative effect of the flames. The three men were dressed in a similar style, jeans, black boots and long-sleeved shirts, a style that hadn't evolved much since the 1950s. Brian still had a thick mob of black hair on his head which he gelled up into position like James Dean. At least that's how he saw it. Andrea, Valerie, Stefan said, nodding to each of the two elder ladies sat just off to the right of the men. They looked away from the flames, smiled eagerly in his direction, and then looked over their shoulders to the body being carried towards them. Be part of today's live show in the YouTube chat room, yt.litopia.com. Okay, um, we've got Barbara's reaction there. So let's go straight to that because that's probably the most important of everyone's really. Um, Barbara says, uh, in my opinion, it should start with a guy. Mm, is that the first comment? Actually, Barbara's given us two quite long comments. Uh, yeah, the overall uh, take that she's got is, I felt the piece like focus. I wasn't sure where to look or who to follow, nor why I should care. That's unfortunate. I didn't engage with anyone. There was too much description and scene setting, which could be dropped as, um, in as it goes. Absolutely right. Uh, it should start with the guy being pulled from the car, and it needs a clear protagonist to connect to. Also, the author needs to read his work out loud. Yes! Um, always do that, please. It wasn't an easy read because of some sentence structures, but it has a mood, which I liked a lot. Good. This could be really good, but I don't think it's ready. I think that's very fair. Um, comment from somebody who clearly knows what she's doing. Uh, fabulous to have, have you narrating here, Barbara. If you like Barbara's narration, you can always go and listen to Short Story Hunters, which is available now. Um, Kylie. I would agree with those comments. It 
was trying to it was trying to do everything all at once and it felt like it could be condensed down quite considerably to really hone in on the action there's definitely something happening there with taking this body out towards the fire but that is just what's happening isn't it and that's been stretched over quite a lot of words and i think we need to understand more of the why why is that happening and we don't need to give you know away the whole farm too soon but just give us a bit more of a bit more of why this is important and why we need to care um i think that's yeah yeah that's my main comment okay that's great thank you very much um i agree with you um it's not really grabbing me at the moment what's all that knocking is that you jamie not me it sounds like a grandfather a very ominous grandfather clock i think it's me but i actually don't know what it is that i can hear in this room which is supernatural It is, isn't it? And it's just started thundering here as well. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, what was this? Up. Oh, it was a supernatural thriller. Oh! Yes. <laughs> wow. That's, um, yeah, that's uh, intimidatory, actually. Um, blimey. Gosh, don't know what to say about that. Mm. <laughs> it, was, it was Lexus fault all along. Jamie. Yeah, I, I think I think I agree. Um, I, I've written down actually. You could cut it all down to one paragraph about a man being pulled out of a car and make it really aggressive. Your bam, like it does not. It feels it feels like a first draft that needs a fair bit of work on. I think, and it, the yeah. tone was considering what was happening. It felt weirdly passive. Like yeah. somebody was being pulled out of a car. Like it should be. It should, we want descriptions of feet dragging on the floor, um, maybe them kicking, how much they weigh, or real visceral stuff about what that actually is like but instead we've got a lot of description about things that it got to the point there's so much description about other stuff that i lost what was happening in the middle of the other stuff and so mm-hmm. as a result i'm not really sure where it was going or what's happening um so i think it, it probably just needs it feels like it's too soon to be out in the world i think it and um there's a barbers right there's a couple of bits there's like there's a use of vehicle twice too close to each other just little bits that just needed tidying up i think and it would come yeah from, but I think that the, the main thing is it, it just needs a right good chop down to to the core of yeah. what, what's hap- what's happening and why. Yeah, I think that's right, Ben. You've got a you've got a huge great chunk of description right at the beginning there. But um, I understand. Yeah, again, it's the same as I said earlier. Really, I understand why you do it. Everyone needs to write themselves into it. But once you've you've got that far, you've done that, then you've just got to hack, 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 hack. You know, you've got you've got to kill your darlings. Unfortunately, it's not easy to do. It's hard to do, but if you don't, then it's going to be quite. You're making it more difficult than necessary for the reader to to commit to it. Okay, so let's just see now um, if our numbers are how our numbers are looking. I think we still have. Yeah, we've still got a, a difficult thirteen down there that I have not managed to dissuade yet, but I will possibly during the reading of the uh, of the next submission. But it's very clear at this stage, at least, uh, Matthew, that you are absolutely surging into the lead there i wonder if that will be the case after our final submission of the day which is yeah it's from you okay vanilla yes of course i will absolutely talk to you about that but let's let's have a look at the um the submission first dream core the rise of vanzor middle grade and it's from from nula And this is your blurb. Our dreams are not our dreams. They belong to another world that's under threat. 
but our survival depends on their survival. One boy has been chosen to take on the forces that threaten us, put his life at risk and save everyone in the waking world from extinction. Let me tell everybody about you. Now, Hannah likes that. I'm iffy about that title, I have to say. It's a bit too Power Rangers for me. Um, but that's kind of prejudging it. But, you know, hey, people do prejudge, so why not? Um, let me tell everyone about you, uh, Fanula. Um, I wrote this story because I'm passionate about getting children to read from a young age. I love a good adventure, as is my main character, and it excites me to share this one. When I'm not writing, I'm raising three book-devouring readers. In my spare time, I'm addicted to the rush of plunging headfirst into the brisk Irish Sea. I know somebody else who does that. <laughs> I wonder if you swim together. Hmm, I'll find out next, uh, next time there's a certain event on a Saturday. Um, unfortunately, I don't hold a key to the dream world. Well, maybe we do in terms of the narration coming to you right now from Kay. Dream Core, The Rise of Vanzor, by Fanula Mian, read by Kay. One, Strange Dreams, Waking World. I stood in front of the mirror brushing my teeth. Minty froth oozed from my mouth and plopped into the sink. I wondered if you had to brush your teeth in the dream world. Rinsing my mouth, I aimed and spat. And the plug hole in one goes to Rob Vartry. Yay! I cheered doing a little victory dance. The towel felt rough on my mouth and a quick wipe got rid of the toothpaste traces on the sink because they really annoyed my Aunt Bee. I ran downstairs to check the front door was locked. Bee was going to be home late again tonight, some important work meeting. I pushed the handle knowing it wouldn't budge, but there was no harm in double checking. I always felt safer knowing it was locked. The kitchen was tidy because I'd binned the takeaway boxes earlier. Running up the stairs, two at a time, because there's no other way to take the stairs, I launched onto my bed, torpedo style, and lay back, staring at the ceiling, thinking about the strange dreams that had started about a month ago. At first, I hadn't taken much notice of the tall, thin, balding man, but when he had appeared in my dreams every night for a week, I realised that something strange was going on. One night, my dream was all about him. The man was looking at a map on the table, getting more and more frustrated. His scowling face reddened before he exploded in a pounding rage and kicked the table over. The map fell to the floor. He got down on his hands and knees and ran a bony finger over it. Something about the map made him mad. I wondered if there was a way I could unmute the dream because I couldn't hear a thing. Picking up the map, he flung it at the wall, but it just slid to his feet and that made him even crosser. He lifted the table and put it back where it had been. Then fumbling in the pocket of his grey trousers, he took out a piece of paper, a pen from the pocket of his grey shirt, and started to write. 1. Find coordinates on map. Spit dribbled from his mouth and his nostrils flared as he turned the page over and scratched at it like a man possessed, etching the words in capital letters. A menacing smile grew wider on his unshaven face as he wrote each word. Destroy. Crush. Shatter. Eradicate, nuke, wipe out, annihilate. He was making plans to destroy something or somewhere, but I couldn't tell any more than that. The following night was pretty much the same, a continuation of the dream from the night before. 
The angry man was leaning over the map on the table again when, boom, his face turned and stared right at me, lips curled, eyes wide, like he could see me looking at him. His long finger pointed at me, dirt caked under the fingernails. Are you watching me? He roared and then lunged towards me. I'd woken in a sweat that night and couldn't get back to sleep as it had felt so real, so real that I was afraid to fall asleep. I knew that no one could get me in my dreams, but that last dream had spooked me. I mean, do we really know that dreams can't hurt you? My friends always told me I had an overactive imagination and a warped sense of humour, but maybe I just needed to stop eating late at night. Anyway, I did everything I could to stay awake each night after that, reading till my eyelids felt like a lead weight. I read with one eye open so the other could rest. I kept the light on because if I did fall asleep then the brightness on the other side of my eyelids might, I don't know, ward off villains. If my friends knew they'd really tease me about it, so I told no one. Of course, I eventually fell asleep every night. I'm not a robot, but I felt zonked during the day. Alright, let's um, get up to speed with the genius room. Um, Annie says starting in the mirror is a big no-no. Um, and Vagabond Art kind of uh, mirrors that comment. Uh, I'm not convinced that someone cleaning their teeth is enough of an opening grab for middle grade readers. Uh, don't think it's enough for me, really. Although it is a reminder for me to visit the uh, hygienist. Um, thank you. Um, I think a stronger start would be, says Kate. For, uh, at first, I hadn't taken much notice of the tall, balding man. Yeah, that's starting to get a little bit creepy, which is what we want. Uh, Hannah says, for middle grade, you need to launch into the story. This opening is preliminary window dressing that we don't need. It's kind of the prevailing comment today, isn't it? Actually, we've had a lot of that, too much of that. It happens. Um, Kate says, I like the lucid dream idea. I like that too. It's a little obvious, says Vagabond. Like the dream on its own. Flesh out the scene a little, feels too distant. It does a bit. Um, and Ancora says, I think the writing is good. Difficult to start with a dream because that's supposed to be another cliche. Yeah. But here I think it should be okay because she's describing them. Writing needs tighten tightening a bit but a beginning but as a beginning it could be stronger okay says writer's competent idea is good needs more zing yes for middle grade readers if you just add a little bit more of that finola then i'm sure you'll have get a deal she's going scratching her head how do i do that how the heck do i do that peter jamie please yeah i think um i think i, I agree with, agree with the genius very much if you if you cropped out the bit that start that started at first i hadn't taken much notice of that uh, that that bit and then cut it at the when he turns and shouts are you are you watching me that would be a really strong opening chapter yeah totally. a bit either yeah. side and i think this is probably why it's not getting past literary agents because they're just reading that first thing oh god this kid brushing his teeth and in yeah. fact what you got is actually with some of the reading in that bit i just got a bit goosebumpy there's some good good stuff yeah, in there it's, it's yeah quite, quite quite scary so yeah. just I mean, and, and that middle bit, it, it just was getting better and better and better. And then it hit the bit when he turned around and, and uh, screamed at the, the kid. And then, and then it just sort of petered out a little bit. Mm. So lose the front bit, lose the end bit, and you've got something good in the middle there. Yeah. Uh, would be my advice. Good. Well, I think that's excellent advice, Kylie. I would completely agree. I felt like the, the, the dream sequence was really building some momentum. And if you could stretch that out a little bit, not too much, but really make it... Um, bring us into that world give us a bit more description where the the person in the dream is writing his list that's like destroy i could see 
middle grade kids really engaging with that. Yeah, because that's um, what they do in school a lot, isn't it, actually? Isn't it? Yeah, yeah, destroy. I I what I did notice is there were some nice quirks of the character coming through, but maybe not delivered in quite the right way. Like he was telling us that his friends think he's got a warped sense of humour, but we mm. somehow need to maybe bring that in a, a, a different way. But it did signpost and the way he kind of torpedoes on his bed. I, I quite liked that. It's quite sweet. But it needs, yeah, cutting down. And on the title, for me, it's too abstract. It, it mm. tells me nothing about what the content or the story is about. Um, and I still couldn't tell you, even off the back of, of those words that we've just read. Yeah. So I think that needs a bit more tidying yeah. up. Did you, let me just ask you, Katie, and then James as well, please. Um, I just, I mean, I've, I have this conversation with a few people, actually. And it does seem, especially the first few months of lockdown, that people were having the weirdest dreams. Were, were you? Yeah. What, what's going on there? It's all bubbling under the subconscious, isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So we're trying to deal with some weird stuff, weren't we? That our brains mm. weren't used to dealing with. It's like all of our friends have suddenly taken. So, yeah, processing the fact that there was a, a, a virus there that had come from nowhere that could kill us, and we were locked in our houses. And yeah, I just, I, I think our brains were like, "What is going on?" Yeah, and they were vivid, weren't they? I mean, yeah, I, I was definitely like, dreaming really, in Technicolor. I tell you, I mean, just yeah. extraordinary. Yeah. yeah. So, Matt, Matt times I woke up and said to my wife, "I just had the weirdest dream last night," and then explained something which was. Um, and and she said, and she just, said me, "Just me, what me I've too. had. I've had the same yeah. one." Yeah. Do no, you, that, would be, that would be freaking. Do either of you, or both of you, uh, return to the same place in dreams? Because that's kind of what Fennell was talking about here. Uh, yeah, same landscape. I've got one one dream that I've had for my entire life. One one night, the same nightmare. This had since I was a kid. Keep keep having it, and I've and I've got I've got I've got a nice dream and a bad dream that I have repeatedly. Um, wow. Lots of ones in between, but the same ones do keep coming back and coming back. As, as I as have a recurring. Oh, sorry. Go on, go on. Yeah, go on. Yeah. I was just going to say I have a recurring dream as an adult that I miss my maths GCSE, and it's a whole <laughs> dream about me missing this whole. Yeah. Like I just don't do the course, and it must be whenever yeah. I'm feeling <laughs> worried about not doing something. <laughs> I know. I have the same things about not catching a train to school. I used to have to catch a train to school six days a bloody week, you know. And, yeah, I still have those anxiety dreams. It's extraordinary. It's uh, hardwired into our consciousness. Um, just, yeah, let's, let's see what the uh, charums also saying. Uh, Kate has a recurring Glastonbury dream. Um, no, it went, it, Well, yeah, probably it's quite cool, that. I think, I hope, hopefully. It's not bad. Um, make you, uh, just let me give you some very quick comments here, Fenella. Um I like how you get into it straight away. Um, this is not new territory by any means. So, you know, uh, what have we got? We've got um, Total Recall. Um, we've got, well, I mean, this, this, is a, this is a trope, isn't it? Television and film trope for a long time. Um, uh, oh, Inception as well, of course. Um, so it's not new territory exactly. Um, so it's, you know, it's a meme, it's a genre, it's this man on the internet. Have you seen that stuff? This man? Suddenly everybody starts to dream about the same man. Looks Actually, if you look at, you just go right now. Go now, Google dream this man. Look at the picture and then look at Jamie. Yeah, I'm serious. I'm serious. Just I'll do it. Do it right now. now. Do it right now, Genius Dream. You'll be amazed, actually. You'll be amazed. 
Um, so uh, I think it's a nice voice there. Uh, why rejections? Partly the title. I think the title is kind of it feels sort of cheap actually, and it's not it's it's not sort of you know spooky and weird and ooh, shivery. Although Jamie did get one or two goosebumps then, um, so I think, think you've definitely got to work on the title, and um, I think it's got to be clearer initially, maybe from the blurb or something. Katie's just seen it um, that. You, what you're doing with this well-established genre, this is well, trope, let's call it well-established. Where are you taking it? What's really, what's, you don't, this is the big secret of, of being commercially successful. You don't ha have to be a whole step in front of everybody else. You don't need to be. Just that little bit different to stand out, especially in a well-trodden well genre, is enough. But you've got to be clear about what it is that makes you sufficiently different in something that's been around for some years. And I don't think that's coming through quite yet. But I, I do think, honestly, I do think you're quite close. Did you see the picture, Jamie? Yeah, he doesn't get any like me. He's got no beard. He's got massive eyebrows. When he's bald, but then, well, then quite we, a lot of us are. If the chat room had the ability, genius room had the ability to uh, to vote, I'd like to put it to the vote. But anyway, we. <laughs> I tell you what, that's probably why you grew, grew the beard, isn't it? Um, so we're at the end of the show. I'm sorry to say that. It's, it's gathered momentum as, we, as we've gone through. Let's look. It's a great pleasure, Ben. I'm very pleased to, to hear that. Uh, leave us a comment, please, and do subscribe. Every subscriber helps. Uh, I always find opening the book the hardest to... Yes, it is. I know. It's an almost impossible thing to do. I know it's the most important for agents. I will take these words on board. Says Ben, get killing those darlings. Good for you, Ben. Thank you as well. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's an absolute pushover for you, Matthew, actually. You are way... It's a great pleasure for that. And... Um, you know what, guys? I mean, this is this is really what we have huddles for. So, I would do suggest also that you um, you join the huddle, and um, we can we can take it further. Now then, let's just make it official. Let's make it completely official for you, Matthew. Your name in lights, notwithstanding an enormous gobstopper of a title. Yeah, well in the lead and uh, looking good, I'd say, to, to be this month's winner. Um, but we've got three more weeks and I hope you'll join us for our next three Sundays in a row to see where we get to. If this is, has been our third week of trying out our new scoring technology and fingers crossed it has actually worked quite well. So I think I think we're settling into it now. It feels like a new home that you just, hmm, where's everything? Where's the toilet? Oh, it's upstairs. So uh, we're just getting used to it now, getting used to knowing which button to push. I'm just going to push the final one right now um, which means that um, we won't see you again for another six and a half days but I do hope you will join us next Sunday see you then <laughs>